We're in Isaiah chapter 28, if you want to turn in your Bibles there for this evening. It was uh, supposed to be the second half of last week's message, but uh, somebody got chatty, and that was me, and uh, so it went long on chapter 27, but uh, we'll work our way through chapter 28. God, thank you for this time, and thank you for the study of your word. Lord, we want to be molded and shaped by it, even this message that is, uh, was given to Isaiah, and, and as we've just been working through chapter by chapter, is so repetitive, Father. But what I hear in it is a, a heart of a father who longs that the nation of Israel would return to you, to you and, and they didn't do that, God. And So I pray that we would learn. I pray that we would heed the warnings that are placed in our lives, God, when we have strayed the course, when we have gone away from you, Lord, and that we would return to you and not be like uh, the nation of Israel in this time uh, in, that we're studying. Father, I do ask you to help me rightly divide the word, and God, just that your spirit would be what molds and shapes our hearts tonight. We invite you in this place, in Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, last week or um, last week we did chapter 27, and one of the main things that we gleaned from that chapter that I want us to hold on to for tonight, because we'll kind of tie it in as we get toward the end, is the idea of chapter 27, verse 6. It said that, in essence, that God was going to bless the nation of Israel in order that they might be a, a blessing to the rest of the world. And we've seen that, and I read that long, those long statistics about how um, you know, the, the Jews are you know, 52% of the Ivy school, uh, Ivy League school entrance, and they're just, they, they, they bless us in so many different ways. Even the um, export of the nation of Israel, the, they're the third largest exporter of flowers and fruits and things like that. If you buy a rose in New York City, chances are it came from Israel. And so, um, they have, they have blessed us in many ways. So we want to hold on to that as we head into chapter 28. We have been talking about the millennial kingdom, the time after the great tribulation in which Christ will return to earth and rule from Jerusalem. And now in 28, we're going to shift back to the woe, <laughs> which we've had plenty of woe as we've gone through the book of, of Isaiah. But that was the intent and the purpose of the message. If you recall back to chapter 6, when... Um, when Isaiah was lifted up to the throne, right? The, the majestic throne, the great, the, and, and in the year that King Uzziah died, and he saw the seraphim with the six wings, the angels with the six wings, one, cover, one set covering their eyes, one set covering their feet, and one set flying before the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. And, and the, the, they pressed the, the coal to um, Isaiah's lips, and then they asked, the, the, God asked, who, uh, who shall I send? Who shall go for us? And Isaiah was the first and, and ready to say, here am I, send me. I want to I carry your message. I want to deliver what you would have me deliver. And so uh, Isaiah is now carrying the message that he is the messenger from God on high to the nation of Israel and, and Judah specifically to the south. They had strayed. So it says in, in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 1, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, who glory, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valleys, to those who are overcome with wine. And so now, as we said, we're turning the corner from that, looking at that millennial reign to now God pronouncing judgment once again on 
the nation of Israel. In specific, it says they're Ephraim, and anytime uh, the, he speaks of Ephraim, he's referring to the large uh, or the ten tribes to the north. Ephraim was the largest of those tribes, so it's referring to the whole nation of Israel. Remember, they were in civil war at this point, Judah to the south, Israel to the north. So he's addressing the drunkards of Ephraim, as it were. Notice it says woe, and the reason you want to woe is because there is a, a judgment coming. God was, you know, as God disciplines us even today, he, he was trying to corral them, trying to set them on the proper path, and so this judgment would be coming. He, he calls them drunkards, and in fact, he's going to call them that a couple times throughout the chapter, because while they were professing to be followers of God and God's chosen people with their mouths, their hearts were far from them. We saw that in chapters 2 and chapter 3. And rather than devoting themselves to the things of God and living a life that was holy or set apart for Him, they had joined themselves to the rest of the world. They had aligned, allied them, allied themselves, there's the word I'm looking for, they had allied themselves with the rest of the world which says, we're living for the weekend, we're here to party, and we're just looking for a good time. And so, uh, and, and they had identified with that and given themselves over to dissipation and drunkardness. Uh, they chose to party in spite of the call to repentance. They said, you know what, we're fine. As long as we have our football on the weekends, we'll be just fine. Thank you very much. And, and you know, I wonder if we're seeing that in our country as well thought a lot about this today, and certainly with all the, the events that are happening, with what happened in San Bernardino last week, with what Jerry Falwell Jr. said this week, and there's, there's reason to believe that you know, things are exciting anyway. <laughs> there's a lot of interesting things going on in our nation right now. And while Israel is the only nation that God has ever said, they're my chosen people, we understand that our country was founded on the principles of, of godly character, morality, and, and the Bible. And so as we, as a nation, drift from that, and, and I would venture to say, in many ways, America is post-Christian now, meaning that we have moved beyond the majority of people being or at least acting like Christians, that there, we are in line for correction if nothing else, that we are, our judgment is due. Um, because in many ways, while we profess to be a Christian nation, we're not living it. We, we have some strong churches, we have some strong Christian and godly people, don't get me wrong, but to say that our nation as a whole is still following the commands and, 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 and worshiping the, the God on high, is a fallacy. I mean, it's just simply not true. The, the, the attendance of churches continues to decline. More churches are closing every month than ever before. Um, you know, more pastors are having to find other jobs and other ways to make money. And, and, and so the, the writings on the wall that our nation, many of the people of our nation, want to move away from God. Now, I know that's not your heart, and I know that's not my heart, but that's that's the country that you and I live in. And so as we look at that, then do we say, are we like the nation of Israel that would rather choose a party over getting right with God? 
And I think you can see that if you're just honest. You know, sport has become a major religion in this nation. Uh, they worship on, on Saturday, you know, at the horseshoe. And I, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, I, I know what the Buckeyes mean to people. And I know that if the Buckeyes lose, it wrecks somebody's day, it wrecks their weekend, you know? Um, I've experienced those feelings myself. And so I, I understand, uh, I just wonder. I wonder if that's where we are. So they, they, they chose to, to party in spite of the call to repentance. So it says in verse 2, Behold, the Lord has a mighty and strong one, like a tempest of hail, and a destroying storm. It's not bad, bad enough that a hailstorm would happen, but a tempest of hail, that's pretty intense. <laughs> when, when hail is moving like a tornado, that's, that's, uh, that's a pretty intense scene. Like a flood of mighty waters overflowing. Who will bring them down to the earth with his hand? And we want to understand what verse 2 is telling us, that this isn't happenstance. This isn't just catastrophic events that the earth that has happened on the earth the judgment that was coming against the nation of Israel it was the hand of the lord it was his doing that that caused these things it says in verse 3 the crown of pride the drunkards of ephraim there's our phrase again will be trampled underfoot and the glorious beauty is a fading flower which is at the head of the verdant valley like the first fruit before the summer, which an observer sees, he eats it up while it is still in his hand. The issue that the nation of Israel was dealing with is the issue that we all deal with, and I've said this several times throughout the book of Isaiah, at the root of all our sin is pride. If you boil down any sin, it is a failure to submit yourself to the authority of God, which is simply pride. The sin is pride. That's what it said there in verse 3. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim. Pride is the opposite of humility. Or pride would be having an improper perspective of ourselves and of God, right? Humility is having a proper perspective of ourselves and God. So pride being the opposite of humility would be having an improper perspective of ourself and our God. Like the first fruits, it's a, or, um, in, in verse 4, the glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valley. And he likens it to the first fruits of summer, right? Did, did, was that you? As you grew up in, in summertime, did your family have a garden? As, as the strawberries came ripe, as the blueberries came ripe, as, as whatever came ripe, you were out in the garden taking them, and they never made it into the house, right? That was me. That was, you know, it was, it was like, we, we have... We have blackberry bushes at our house. We have never had blackberries inside our house. Our kids always go out to the blackberry bushes and, and, and just sit there and pick them and eat them. That's the idea here is the, the fruit, that, the first fruit, that what you look forward to, it's gone so quickly. That's what he's saying the nation of Israel is going to be like before the hand of God. Israel is going to be quickly consumed due to their pride. So in verse 5 it says, In that day the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, those that have devoted themselves to him. For a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. So this is a contrasting now statement to those that were swelled up with pride, those that were like a flower 
um, in the valley, God likens himself to a crown of glory. Those that put their trust in the Lord, it's going to be uh, his crown of glory, and a crown of glory never fades, right? The, the, the jewels never lack luster. They, they are always um, powerful. Compare that to the fading flower of the nation of Israel in this instance, and, and, and you can see the, the strength of the Lord versus the weakness of the nation. It says in verse 7, but they also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink, uh, and, and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priests and the prophets have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. And then look at this pretty verse. You don't see this on a coffee cup. For the, all the tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. You don't get that at Lifeway at Christmas time. <laughs> right? Isaiah 28.8. For all the tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. We, I played Christian speed metal for a long time, and we played some holes, man, some bad places. And I remember one, as I, was, as I read that verse, it brought back one in particular into mind in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a place called the Ice Pick. <laughs> and it was a punk bar, and it was a hole, <laughs> like literally. And, and we got, I don't know how we got a show there. We called somebody up, and they booked us on like a Sunday night when nothing else was going on. And we went up and we had to, before we could play, we had to clean up Saturday night. You know, we had to, we had to pick up all the broken beer bottles and, and mop up all the vomit. And, and it was a hole type place. And, uh, and so I, I understand what, what is Isaiah is saying here. But he's not talking about a hole in the wall bar in the middle of Israel. He's talking about the spiritual leadership of the nation of Israel. It's, it's the priests it's the, the prophets and those that were supposed to be leading them that are acting like this. Their tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean at their place, right? The priests and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. Even the leadership of Israel had gone astray with drunkenness, and that, that led to was blurred vision. And if the leadership has blurred vision, what hopes do those following have? Right? I mean, the, one of the things that I've heard over and over again as, I, as I'm learning and growing to be a pastor is, you know, if it's, if, it's, um, if it's unclear from the pulpit, then it's a fog in the pew. You know, it, it's, it's the idea, you have to, have to be crystal clear as you're teaching the Word of God so that everybody can understand it and everybody can get a hold of it. And if the leadership isn't clear, then nobody else is going to be clear either. And that's the point he's trying to make. They've lost their vision, right? Proverbs 29, 18, Solomon says, where there is no vision, the people perish. He that keeps the law, happy is he. Where there's no vision, the people perish. If, if there isn't somebody leading in a proper way, if, some, if the leadership's vision is blurred, then what, you know, it's the blind leading the blind. And, and we need to break out of that. We need to to step outside that. That's what they needed. But did they listen? No. Verse 9. Whom will he teach knowledge? Oh, yeah. Whom will he teach knowledge? 
And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from the breasts? For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. One thing I want us to note about verses 9 and 10, notice that they're in quotes. This is not God speaking. This is not Isaiah speaking. This is now the drunkards. This is now the the people that, that Isaiah is trying to deliver the message to responding to what he has to say. This is the, the drunk people speaking to Isaiah. They're mocking him. He, they're acting as if he said, oh, they, he's just saying the same thing over and over again. Well, as we've studied the book of Isaiah, that's true. He is saying the same thing over and over again in hopes that at one point somebody would hear it. Oh, it, 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 you know, the term Bible thumper, right? Oh, that guy's just, a, all he does is quote the Bible. That's what they're saying of Isaiah. And this is Isaiah's response in verse 11. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people. God says, all right, we, this is how we're going to deal with it. People with stammering lips and another tongue, he's going he's to use to speak to these people. And we know the story. We know the history. You know, the Assyrians move in and, and wipe out the nation of Israel to the north. Um, the Babylonians move in and, and take the remnant captive. And you know, the Babylonian language certainly would have been stammering lips and another tongue to these people. God's going to use the Assyrians. God's going to use the Babylonians as instruments in his hand to deliver his message. Because obviously they're not listening to Isaiah. So it says in 12, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. God's heart in all of this is he's trying to woo them back. He's trying to, to call to them. And, and, and the message was, you could have had rest in me. Had you been listening to me, you could have found your peace. You could have had, you, you could have had that respite that you were so desperately looking for. But you would not hear. We talked about that on Sunday. I tried to give you guys a gift on Sunday to say, you, now between now and the end of the year, you just simply need to take a day off. And, and not just a day off from work, a day off from everything. And, and to just be still. And the idea in the midst of Psalm 4610, uh, be still and know that I am God, is, is in, it's in the middle of the storm. It's in the middle of the raging that you just simply stop and say, I'm going to put my hope in you and I'm going to demonstrate that my faith is in you, God. I'm going to rest in you. The rest which they could have had. The that break from weariness was ready and, and, and available to them, yet they would not hear. We have a saying in our family as we try to train our kids in godliness and responsibility and, and, and just living right and proper lives. I'm sure you guys have gone through this too, you other parents, you know. Sometimes it's like beating your head against the wall when you're trying to get your son or your daughter to hear a message. And you say the same thing over and over and over again, and you know it's going in one ear and out the other. And sometimes you just got to let reality be their teacher, and you got to let you got to let a kid drop it. You got to you got to let let them fail in order for them to experience the the pain of fa- of failing. You know, you you got. I don't know. I was going to try to think of an example. Nothing came to mind. <laughs> but you got to let reality be their teacher. And that's the idea here that God is just saying, fine, you don't want me around, I'll, I'll take off. 
You don't want the rest that I have for you? You don't want the refreshing? You're not listening? All right, here comes the judgment. But the word of the Lord was was to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and and snared and caught. And so Isaiah is now saying the word of the Lord to them was in fact precept upon precept. Yes, and then precept upon precept. I was repeating myself because he wants you to hear line upon line here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward, that they might be caught. It's better to be broken than to be crushed. And from this example in verse 13, this is where Calvary Chapel, our church, gets its teaching philosophy. That's why we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, in the hopes that as we build out the, your knowledge of the Bible, you'll get a, a grander picture of the, the entirety of God and the, that the entire story from Genesis to Revelation, it's one story all about the, the, with the hinge being the cross and, and, what, and Christ living. And so we build our teaching philosophy from this concept of chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now, what he's saying here in verse 13 is to the negative. Yes, I'm building these up, and, 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 and the reason I'm building them up is, is that you're not going to listen to them, and, and you're going to be broken by them. But if a concept can be used to break a man, it can also be used to keep a man from breaking as well. If a concept can be used to break a man, it can be used to keep a man from breaking it as well. It depends on the man. It depends on, the you know, is he going to turn a blind eye? Is he going to turn a deaf ear? Well, if that's the case, as we're building precept upon precept, if you're turning a blind eye or a deaf ear, well, then you're going to be broken. But if a man hears the word precept upon precept or line upon line, hears the word of the Lord and then repents, He's saved from that brokenness. So it's not, it, it depends on how you receive that concept. But as already stated, they're not listening. So it says in verse 14, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you have said, We have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, that's the grave, we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us, for we've made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we've hidden ourselves. Hey, they're telling, their, their, their response is, hey, God, we got this. We'll be fine. We don't need you, Lord. We got this covered. We've, got, we've, we've, we've hedged our bets. We've made deals with the devil. We've, we've made arrangements with the nations around us. We've got this covered, God. We're fine. Verse 16, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Fine, I don't, you don't need me. He says, I, I, thus says the Lord, I'm going to lay 
a foundation. I'm going to establish a new work. I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to set up a tried stone, this, this, this perfectly hewn stone, a precious cornerstone. Of course, the cornerstone being the, 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 the strength of the building, a sure foundation, and whoever believes will not act hastily. The cornerstone, of course, we know is Christ, right? First so, uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Peter says, Come, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men. Even though God laid the cornerstone as declared in the book of Isaiah, he was rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Peter goes on to say, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, quote, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Of this stone, there's several different descriptions, and it says the, uh, the, uh, a stone for foundation, and then it says a tried stone. It's been tested. It's been found true. It's without fault. There is no blemish upon it. There is no crack in it. It is without fault. And we know that Jesus, our Savior, in the same way was tried and tested and found to be true without fault, without crack, without blemish. We saw that in the wilderness and the desert prior to his three years of ministry, as it was him and Satan, he, he, he was uh, found without fault there. But then also, as he went through the trials of the night of his crucifixion, the six different kangaroo courts that he went through as he was being crucified, prior to him being crucified, the, the high priests were examining him in the same way that a high priest would examine the Passover lamb. Right, The, the Passover lamb had to be found without spot or blemish. It had to be perfect in every way before it would be sacrificed for the Passover. And they examined Christ as you would a Passover lamb and found him to be without fault. He is the chief cornerstone. Notice what it said there uh, in verse 17. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. So the tools that um, come from him, from the cornerstone, Come, come these tools, the tools of judgment, justice, the measuring line, righteousness, the plummet. And with these tools, justice, righteousness, you can um, rightly build off of that perfect cornerstone. And what will be built will be true. If you have the, the, the line that comes out from the cornerstone, the, the, the um, measuring line, then everything along that measuring line will be found True as well, if you have the, the plummet, the, the vertical line as well, then everything built upon that cornerstone will be found to be true. And, and when a, a building is found to be true, that's the type of building that stands the test of time. That's the, the, that will stand the storm, as it says there in 17, that wipes away the lies. The cornerstone is Christ. It says in verse 18, Your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand when the overflowing scourge passes through. Then you will be trampled down by it. Sounds like the nation of Israel had rejected the, the counsel of God and 
rather than building upon that cornerstone, the firm foundation, they built their house on the sand. Right? Jesus talked about that and the folly of building a house on the sand rather than on the cornerstone. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it says there in 18, then you'll be trampled down by it. The three little pigs, right? (laughs) You're building your house of straw or stone. As often as it goes out, it will take you. For morning by morning it will pass over, and by day and by night it will be a terror just to understand the report. It's going to frighten you when you hear the news. That's how harsh this judgment that was standing against them and was coming toward them, that even hearing the news of it would be a terror. I like verse 20, For the bed is too short to stretch out on, and the covering so narrow that one cannot wrap himself in it. Have you been in that bed? where it's too short, your feet are hanging off the end, or they don't, it doesn't work, or the sheets just don't work right, or whatever. Is it comfortable? Is it a pleasurable night of sleep? No. That's what he's saying. Your plan is like a bed that's too short. There are agreements with other nations reaching out to, or rather than reaching out to God, would leave them short-sheeted, right? Feet hanging out the end. That's how I sleep every night anyway, but whatever. That's just me. Got a tall, I'm tall and got a short wife. So, All right, verse 21. For the Lord will rise up... You guys don't care, do you? You're just like, just <laughs> shut up, Chris, and just keep going. I'll take my pain elsewhere. Verse 21. For the Lord will rise up as Mount Perazim. He will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his awesome work, and bring to pass his act his unusual act. Now, the awesome there is not awesome like, whoa, awesome. The awesome's there like, whoa, whoa. Overwhelming. Awful. The Lord will rise up as, as in Mount Perizim. He'll be angry as in the valley of Gibeon. The Lord will rise up. Do you really want to fight against God? Is that something you're looking forward to in your life? Is that does that sound pleasurable? What what are your odds? Take it to Vegas. What would your odd be, odds be? You versus God. Zero, infinitely zero. Do we really want to try to fight against God? They're going to, God's going to rise up as in Mount Perizim. The Lord accomplished a great victory for Israel in the days of David. At Perizim, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 20. At Gibeon, the Lord accomplished a great victory for Israel in the days of Joshua. Joshua chapter 10, verse 11. In those cases, the Lord, the Lord fought for Israel. But if they're not going to listen, if they're not going to repent, then the Lord would be fighting against Israel. This use of God's strength against His people surely is his awesome work, or as the King James Version would put it, his strange work. I don't want to get on the wrong side of God. I don't know about you. So verse 22, finishing up. Now therefore, do not be mockers, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a destruction determined even upon the whole earth. Give ear and hear my voice. Listen and hear my speech. 
This is Isaiah now speaking to them, to the nation of Israel. Please listen to me. You hear the heart of Isaiah, and we hear this throughout. We compared it to the heart of Jonah who went into Nineveh and just said, ah, I hope they don't listen. Isaiah's heart is, oh, Lord, I hope they do listen. And that that needs to be our heart as well. He's begging the people to heed his warning. And that leads us to this last idea. It's a call to listen to the teaching of God. As the people of God, it is uh, on our shoulders that we would subject ourselves to the authority of God and to listen to His teaching. And it's interesting how he puts it here in verse uh, the end of the chapter, but picking it up in verse 24. Isaiah says, Does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow? Does he keep turning his soil and breaking the clods? When he has leveled its surface, does he not sow the black cumin and scatter the cumin, plant the wheat in rows, the barley in in the appointed place, and the spelt in its place? For he instructs him in right judgment. His God teaches him. For the black cumin is not thrashed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over the cumin. But the black cumin is beaten out with a stick, and the cumin with a rod. Bread flour must be ground, therefore he does not thresh it forever, break it with his cartwheel, or crush it with his horsemen. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. The idea here is that we would heed the voice of the Lord, that we would listen to his instruction and recognize that it's not just God doesn't just make a blanket statement with the word of God. As a farmer would learn the necessity of treating each crop differently, and, and, and a farmer would be taught by one who already knows, right? You, you learn your skill from somebody that already knows. I learned garage doors from a guy that knew how to do garage doors. And you treat each crop differently. We then take counsel from God who knows all things and can rightly direct us. He knows what's best for us and He knows how to handle each situation. His glory is not going to fade. He's the royal diadem. We should follow Him and not the fading glory, this passing flower of the world. And, and, and we receive direction from Him in different ways, right? In the same way that a farmer wouldn't treat the black cumin the same as the bread flour, we, we understand that that God's Word is, is different depending on... Uh, I want to be careful how I say this. Okay. The writings of Scripture emphasize different things. The historical books are different than the poetic books. The Old Testament has a, a different focus than the New Testament. Uh, the, the overarching story is all the same, it all, and it is all the Word of God, and yet we have to understand that what we read in the book of Isaiah and the, and the way we see Him coming against the nation of Israel, we need to understand that in the New Testament, Christ absorbed that judgment, and we don't face that judgment. Christ, Christ took what was coming against the nation of Israel and what you and I rightly deserve, God's judgment, and absorbed that on the cross. So we understand that, you know, post-Christ living on earth, that we, we approach God differently and we, we treat it differently. So four takeaways as we finish up tonight. First thing, Israel is blessed by God and will be a blessing to the world. We got that from chapter 27. We need to keep our eye on what's happening in the nation of Israel. As you 
consider, and I mentioned this last week, I think, uh, who to vote for in the 2016 presidential elections, one of the primary things that you need to look at is how, are, how is that person going to treat the nation of Israel? Because the world focus is, is, is drawing into this little nation the size of New Jersey, 7 million people, and growing. I just read again yesterday that thousands of um, Jews from Brazil are now moving to the nation of Israel, it, it, which is fulfilling Scripture. It says that God will call His people home from the four corners of the earth. And so we need to keep an eye on what's happening with the nations surrounding Israel and with Israel in specific. And so we need to recognize Israel is blessed by God and will be a blessing to the world. And there is a day coming when Christ will rule and reign from the nation of Israel. Second, God has laid the cornerstone for you and I to, to set our lives on. That cornerstone is in Jesus. And then justice and righteousness are the measure that are built upon that foundation. We, we have to live, God calls us to live a holy life built on the foundation of Christ. And the way we live a holy life is by setting up the measuring tools of righteousness and justice. And then fourthly, is the idea that the greatest way that we can receive God's counsel is line upon line, precept upon precept, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And I'm not saying that because I'm a company man who believes in Calvary Chapel. I'm saying that because for 18 years I've experienced it. And I have to tell you that I know more about the Scriptures now than I ever had prior to coming here. And even in the first year of sitting under Pastor Dave's teaching, I grew exponentially because it was line upon line, precept upon precept. It's beneficial to study God's counsel that way. Four takeaways from the chapter 28. Amen? All right, let's stand. Let's close in prayer and we'll sing. Thank you guys for coming tonight. Lord bless you. God, we thank you and praise you for your love for us. And we know that the judgment that came against the nation of Israel and, and Judah to the south was for the intent and purpose of disciplining them. And your heart's desire was that you would woo them back to a relationship with you. They ignored that call. They ignored those things. They made their bed and short-sheeted themselves. And you shipped them off to Babylon ultimately, but a remnant remained and came back. Father, I just, I just pray that we would look at these things and we would learn from them. Father, you, you call into our lives when we have strayed and when we've, we've come off the foundation, the, the, the cornerstone, when we're not using those measuring tools that you have given us, Lord. You call out to us and you woo us back to you. And sometimes we hear you, but sometimes we don't. So I pray that we would have ears to hear tonight. And if we've strayed from the truth, Lord, that tonight we would make correction, that we would set our lives again on the firm foundation of our Savior and of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would repent of the things that have drifted, caused us to drift away, and Lord, that we would set ourselves apart from this world to live a holy life. You're good, God. We thank you for saving us. And we thank you, Jesus, for absorbing our judgment. We love you, Lord, and we pray that with our lives we would show it. We sing in Jesus' name. Amen.